This episode of the Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Nori. Feeling left out of carbon markets? Nori is a carbon removal marketplace that welcomes early adopters of regenerative farming. We work directly with farmers to enter their data and project their carbon credits, which the farmer owns and sets the price on. Nori is the marketplace, not the middleman, so farmers get paid directly once their credits are sold. We believe that carbon credits should be an asset the farmer controls, not the rights that they sell. To learn more on how you can enroll your farm, visit nori.com growers. And if you are a company looking to get involved with carbon markets, reach out to hello at nori.com. Nori, a carbon marketplace for early adopters. Visit nori.com growers. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. You already knew that. They said so in the introduction. Got a great program for you. We're talking about an intersection. And I think it's this intersection we're going to see more and more of where investor money, startup companies come to agriculture or at least come in an ancillary sort of um, uh, tangential way into the business of agriculture. And I think that's where we are with this company called Core. Um, Not uh, bragging here, but dear listener, I get approached by different folks that want to be on the business of agriculture podcast. A lot of companies that are in the startup phase, they have a PR agent and they reach out to me and essentially want some advertising. And this one is not one of those because I think there actually is something here. What this company does, and you're going to hear more from Steve Wortel. He is the business uh, development guy for this company called Core, and that's K-O-R-E. They're talking about taking waste product, biomass product, and then repurposing it through a process and then making it available back into agriculture, but not necessarily as fertilizer and not necessarily as NPK. And he's going to get more into that. But it's somewhere where I think the junction exists and they would call themselves a carbon negative renewable energy. So I thought, dear listeners, with all the talk about carbon credits and carbon sequestration and agriculture being utilized in that regard, is this another phase? Is this another growth? Is this another finger that we're going to see where companies taking stuff, waste products, if you will, and then returning them and they've got to do something with them as opposed to landfilling them, et cetera, and then bringing back to us. So again, is agriculture as maligned as we are for being environmentally negative, once again, an environmental solution. So that's kind of what we're talking about. And I'm not the expert about what this company does. I'm more just painting a picture of what I think we're going to see more of in the future. And I hope it can be positive. So that's my purpose for bringing you Steve Wortel from the company called Core. Steve, tell me what I missed there about your company and maybe the promise. Well, I think you gave a, an excellent description there. And, and by the way, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. You, you mentioned that we're a carbon negative renewable energy company. And, and that's really the, the focus of our business is to take biogenic waste feedstocks, think agricultural residuals, uh, nutshells, tree prunings, et cetera, uh, landscaping debris, urban demolition wood. If you've ever looked at an apartment building, being built, you'll see just tons and tons of two by fours and plywood. When we demolish those buildings, all of that wood has to go somewhere. Our process can take that and upcycle it into uh, these products we're going to talk about. And in California in particular, right now where we're located, the, uh, the, the state and the federal government is looking at ways to get into the forest in California to thin out uh, deadwood to reduce wildfire risk. 
but they don't know what to do with that once they've got it. Here we are able to take that material and convert it into two valuable co-products, a renewable energy product, and then a solid elemental carbon char, which is the product that has value in agriculture. Yeah. So that's, first off, I think that's cool. And let's just talk about, and we're also going to admit that it ain't perfected yet. Uh, I mean, we're not, we're not doing this at scale yet. Uh, we can admit that, right? That's right. There are a number of boutique biochar producing companies that are out there and, and there's, they're addressing some very specific niche markets, I would say. But when we go live with this technology, we'll be producing orders of magnitude greater than what is produced in the marketplace today. Really taking this biochar product from a niche product to something that will be available to a much larger segment of the population. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. And then I want to hear about the, the story of the company founding, but from just the process. Okay. Um, yeah. You're in California. Um, obviously there's a tremendous amount of difference um, uh, focus on everything you've discussed from waste to water to uh, you've got, you know, 40 some million people there. And so there's a lot of different things. There's the politics of what goes on in that state, which would make most people's head spin and, and fly over country here where I am. But all right. You talked about taking some stuff, tree clippings. Um, they go through the city streets in suburbs of Orange County and they've got these tree clippings and you say, take it to the landfill. Well, you know, that's a problem. We've been filling the landfills up with plastic for the last 30 or 50 years. Right. Um, then we also have a big orchardry business or a forestry business or a, uh, you know, vintner business. I mean, California, number one agricultural state yep. is the promise that we'll take Steve stuff that's been trimmed off a tree instead of burying it, landfilling it, um, we used to mulch it. We could mulch it some of that stuff and put it in, you know, for decorative mulch. But now the idea, the promise is use that stuff and get something positive out of it from your process. Exactly. So if we start with the notion of mulching this material or putting it in a landfill, that material will eventually degrade into either methane or carbon dioxide, depending on which microorganisms are breaking it down and all of that carbon will return back into the atmosphere to a large extent. And in fact, in California, one of the drivers for this technology is what's known as Senate bill 1383 that requires landfills to divert organic wastes from being buried in their landfills for that very reason. Right. It's called short lived climate pollution reduction. What we do instead is we take that same biomass run it through our process and about a quarter to half of the carbon that originated in that feedstock, it's known as the fixed carbon, will be converted into a solid carbon char. Looks kind of like charcoal that you would use for your fire. And if you want, we can talk about the differences, but that carbon will no longer be bioavailable to revert to carbon dioxide or methane. So when we put it in the soil, it is a form of carbon sequestration. That carbon will remain in that soil indefinitely. And if we started with a biogenic feedstock, a tree, for instance, that took CO2 out of the atmosphere, yep. converted it into its biomass, went to our process, and let's say half that carbon went into the solid carbon into the ground. Now we have a carbon negative process that's leveraging the ecosystem services of trees and plants in order to take carbon out of the atmosphere 
and put it into the ground. So yeah, okay, let's just go there for a second, not get too scientific, but a little bit. Uh, we got smart listeners here at the Business of Agriculture. Uh, they, they, they all went to, you know, they all went to science class. Um, a tree takes carbon, you know, through photosynthesis out of the air, that's all good. Uh, and then if I cut down that tree, it stops doing that. It's holding a whole bunch of carbon. If I burn it, uh, I release the carbon, <laughs> right? right. Um, and if I bury it, uh, that's okay. Right. That's good for the ground, but you're saying you do something that's even better than that. Well, not only do we put that carbon in the ground, but we produce an energy source that can be used in many other applications. So the, the gaseous products, what we're doing is we're, we're driving all the volatile matter out of that biomass into a gas. That gas can either be used directly to produce heat power and steam, or it can be used to generate either renewable natural gas or one that's very interesting in California is hydrogen gas, uh, because our gas can, contains 40 to 50% hydrogen. We could separate that out. That hydrogen can be used in fuel cells as an energy source. And this is probably off spec for what you're talking about here. But right now in California, there are 13,000 cars on the road that use hydrogen to, uh, as their energy source for a zero emission driving mechanism. Those are battery electric vehicles with a fuel cell that continuously charges the battery using hydrogen, gives you the same type of, of uh, experience as a gasoline pump where you pull up to the pump, fill your car in five minutes, drive away, and you have zero tailpipe emissions doing that. All right. So let's go back to then the process. First off, the process. I take this biomass and it could be, it could be a lot of stuff now, but you're, we're just sticking with trees and the stuff from a orchard, let's say um, it goes through your process. And then I get this stuff. And then you told me I get renewable energy. I get energy out of a how? The, the, the carbon in that biomass, about half of it or more is going to be volatile. So when I heat it up, our process is going to take that material and heat it to greater than a thousand degrees Fahrenheit in the, complete absence of oxygen. And under those conditions, half the carbon is going to become a gas, half the carbon is going to become this solid carbon char, in instance. There's a little bit of condensables that are produced, what you might know as wood vinegars. Yep. And, and that's another product we can talk about. But that's how we get the energy out of that material. And then where does that energy go? That energy goes to someone who either converts it into heat power or steam, or we separate the hydrogen and it gets used in fuel cells. Okay. And then biochar. Tell me what happens with biochar. You said we're going to go and put that back into the ground. Does it have any value to me? I'm a farmer and I'm uh, I'm 50 miles I'm 50 miles away from where your facility is in California, let's say, and I've got everything from uh, uh, you know I've got uh, almonds to I got uh, uh, you know onion out here. Why do I want this biochar? What's it do for me? So this biochar is going to provide several important benefits to your agricultural operation. You can think of the biochar almost like a sponge. It's going to soak up water and hold on to it. It's going to soak up fertilizer when you apply fertilizer and hold on to it so it doesn't solubilize and become part of the runoff, which creates other environmental problems downstream. Mm -hmm. And it also creates an ideal environment for uh, beneficial soil microbes 
to grow and provide symbiotic benefit with the roots of the plant. So I, I've heard about biochar before, and I, I'm an I'm a amateur agronomy guy, meaning I, I wanted to be an agronomist, but the science was a little bit too heavy for me, so I made the switch. But I, and I've heard about biochar, but what I need to know is, I'm putting this in my soil. What's it doing? Can I do this every year? Am I putting this out there every year? How much biochar can I put until I have too much? Will I ever have too much? What's the, are there agronomics? And I know that you're a civil engineer by training, so maybe you don't know. Yeah, I would, I would have to say at this point, I don't have a definitive answer for you. I think that typical dosages initially are on the order of 10 to 20 tons per acre. Um, But that might be different in an orchard setting, for instance. In a new planting, you might want to charge that initial uh, root ball with a significant amount of this biochar to help become more drought resilient. Mm-hmm. You know, in California, drought is a, a real concern. And the evidence shows that plants that have been amended with biochar when they were planted are much more resilient to drought than those that haven't been. Yeah. And I want to see, we're going to explore about the environmental part of it. We're going to again talk about the maybe potential symbiotic and complementary relationship between agriculture and a company like CORE and the process that you're doing. Uh, before we get into that, and before we hear more from Steve Wartell, I want to hear from our sponsor, Pattern Ag, who's going to tell you what they can do to help you get more out of your soil by doing predictive soil analytics. So here's a message from my friends at Pattern Ag. Hey, folks, got a question for my farmer and landowner friends out there. Have you ever lost yield to an unexpected pest or disease? Of course you have. Every season, you're forced to guess about some of your most important management decisions. What if I told you that you don't have to anymore? Pattern Ag offers the most advanced soil analysis available today. In addition to a comprehensive nutrient analysis, like any soil survey would give you, Pattern can predict next season's risk from the most damaging of pests and diseases. Things like corn rootworm, soybean cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome, and more. For the first time ever, a single soil analysis can help you optimize your crop protection and fertility spend at a subfield, field, and operational level. Isn't it time to refine your management decisions, optimize your inputs, and maximize your yield? Of course it is. Go to www.pattern.ag and get started today. All right, so uh, we're back here. Steve Wortel, he is in charge of business development for a company called Core. Core, California-based company. Um, what what's happening right now at Core? Again, you call yourself a carbon-negative renewable energy company. You believe you can help agriculture. You believe you're. Are you a tech company? Are you a save the world company? Are you an ag company? Are you an energy company? What are you? That's an an interesting question. And we are many of those things. We are not one thing. We are a tech company because we're developing this technology, but we are also a renewable energy company. We're also a waste management company. And we're also an, an agricultural company for all of the reasons that we just discussed. And where we are today is we have a research uh, facility in downtown Los Angeles. It's commercial scale. So it will produce about four to 500 pounds of this biochar per day at this facility. And we are operating it currently on purchased wood pellets in order to calibrate and uh, 
and demonstrate that this technology can be applied in a commercial setting. And then it's also producing all of this renewable energy that we talked about. We can get into the amounts if you'd like to. Uh, the, the, the flow rate into this, the feedstock rate is about a ton an hour. So we're feeding it a, a ton of, of pellets an hour. Yep. And so about 20% or so of that converts into this, this biochar product that then would be available for agricultural applications. Right, and, so and, and any of your listeners could come and see this facility operating today. That's cool. So, all right, let's talk about uh, some of the stuff you already mentioned. Then I want to get into food waste, which is, I think, going to be a huge, huge uh, hot button issue for all of us uh, moving forward. But before we get into food waste, you talked about, before we took our commercial break, you talked about taking like tree plantings, trimmings, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, I could see that being a big deal from urban landscapes to uh, even, you know, uh, agriculture. The, there's a lot of tree uh, agriculture in, in, in California where we take that stuff there. And then the benefit is we're using it for energy and we're using it for uh, biochar. Um, you talked about stuff from construction. Are we going to see a day right now? If right now, if an apartment gets torn down in most parts of the world, a big apartment building, the easiest thing to do is just go ahead and tear it all up, stick it in the dump trucks, and go and landfill it. That's what happens most places. You're telling me we should take that wood and you could take wood and put it through your process. You know, old two by fours and old scrap scraps of uh, OSB panels and throw them in your process and get something valuable out of it. Exactly. Um, in California, there's almost none of what you just described occurring anymore, where you tear down a building and take it to the landfill. There are material recovery facilities all across the state. Mm -hmm. In fact, incidentally, where our demonstration facility is, we share a fence line with one of the largest construction and demolition waste management facilities in all of Los Angeles that processes a thousand tons a day of urban demolition wood waste. About half of that or 500 tons a day is wood. So the purpose of that facility is to separate what comes in into the concrete, the rebar, the gypsum, and then the wood. And then that wood would be, to, right now, that's the wood you talked about that becomes mulch. We would take that wood and upcycle it into these products instead yeah. of either making mulch or put it in a landfill. Well, that's the tough part is that the separation of all that stuff, you know, there's nails and wood and then there and there's drywall nailed uh, to wood with nails. And so how the hell does all that happen and how do you get just the wood? Well, right now that right now that facility does all of the sorting. OK, so they've got the technology, both labor and mechanical to provide a clean wood product at the end of their process. And so and you, painted wood or treated wood either that would be separated out because we don't want that type of wood going into a process like this. So you're saying that there's already this process happening where the separation happens mechanically or, or uh, manually, and then it comes to you and you get plain wood. It might be a 60 year old piece of plywood, but by God, you got it. And now you can do something positive with that. And it's going to take it away from the landfill. It's going to give us energy and it's going to bring me something back that's valuable to my agricultural operation. Great summation. Food waste. I believe that food waste, Steve, is going to be an absolute booger for us. And, and we've not really addressed it. Um, it does not get the energy that it does. Environmental groups, instead of protesting uh, me eating steak, instead of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez telling me that cow farts are ruining the planet, should tackle food waste. We waste about one third of what we produce, much of which in wealthy countries like the United States of America happens 
after the farm. It's one thing if we drive over some muskmelons and some uh, uh, some product in the field because it's not mature or it doesn't you know work. But when you're talking about food that gets harvested, processed, trucked, transported, packaged, processed, cooked, served, and then all of a sudden it gets wasted. That's terrible for the environment. It just got nine value added processes from the time it left the farm and then it gets wasted. Terrible for the environment. Can we eventually use your process at core to utilize food waste and bring it back to being valuable? Absolutely. As part of a larger uh, processing scheme. And if, if you look to California for leadership, uh, uh, the landfill diversion requirements in the state, what's known as Senate Bill 1383, is mandating that 50% of all organics going to landfills have to be diverted by 2023, 75% by 2025. So almost none of that food waste can go into landfills anymore. Right. So where is it going to go? There are a number of private companies that have built large-scale anaerobic digesters to take that food waste and convert it into renewable natural gas mm -hmm. that could be used to replace fossil natural gas for home heating, for vehicle uses, you know, any number of applications. We can work with those facilities because at the end of that process, there's still a lot of stuff that's around. It's called digestate mm -hmm. because it's not going to take this food waste and material converted all into gas. You're still going to have a solid. We could take that solid through our process under the, the thermal conditions that we discussed. We can convert that into a product that can go back into the digester and double or triple the amount of renewable natural gas that's produced and produce this biochar product that could then go into agriculture. Okay. So part of that process can take that food waste and create, again, a carbon negative soil amendment that would benefit agriculture. So here's my question. Uh, on the food waste front, how do you see it working? Because do you see that, first off, there's the legislative part of it that you're in a state of California that's already saying you can't be dumping all this crap in our uh, in, your, in your trash. So is there going to be a service that, like right now, if I have frying oil in my restaurants, there's companies that come around and purify or pick up my frying oil. Is that same company going to pick up on a weekly round, pick up all my uh, food waste, and then it's yes. hauling that to your place, and then you do something with it? Well, it's hauling it to one of these digesters that I described. Uh -huh. the, the challenge for our process with that type of waste specifically is our process does, doesn't like moisture. We don't want a lot of water going into the process because it takes a lot of energy to evaporate that water off. Yep. You want dry so stuff. Want it, so so we, we want it to be dried after it comes out of a process that's extracted the energy value as a natural gas, slightly different than what we're doing. But then we could take that material, make the agricultural biochar product, and return a product to the digesters that will double or triple the renewable natural gas production. And, and yes, there are companies that today will pick up that material from commercial oper operations. And in communities, you're starting to see now uh, two and, and uh, or three and even four bin facilities that have paper waste, yard clippings, food waste, and then everything else that's just in the black bin that's trash. Uh-huh. So or do you, wh what is the process. I mean, without giving us all the proprietary stuff, 
How does this work? If I came to see your facility, you told me I'd come and take a tour of it. What happens? The, so if you came and took a tour of our facility, you would see the, the wood pellets in a storage hopper being fed into our reactor, which is known as a pyrolyzer. The, the technical name for the process is pyrolysis. Okay. So you would, you would essentially see the unit there and it's, it's really a, a glorified oven, if you will. Mm-hmm. The, process, the, the pellets will go through two pipes in the system that are inside of the oven each pipe has an auger that moves the material through and all of the heat transfer occurs through the wall of the pipe. So the internal temperature of the contents exceeds that thousand degrees Fahrenheit within that pipe. Then all these reactions are taking place. We then siphon off the gas. We collect the char. We cool both down, clean, clean the gas up. It goes as renewable energy. The char gets cooled. It goes into a hopper. And it's essentially ready to go into other applications like agriculture. Where else would biochar go if I don't put it within, if I don't uh, use it as a soil amendment, what do I do with it? There are lots of other potential uses for this uh, that we're just starting to discover and and study further. Uh, One of which is this material has essentially the same heat value as bituminous coal. So it could be used as a coal replacement in difficult to decarbonize industries like cement manufacturing or steel manufacturing. And if you want to, we can get into the details of that. Um, it can also be used in. Well, first off, how, how, how is it used in those places? How is coal used there? How would this be used there now? We, we burn it? It's burned inside of a large kiln. So you, you take all your ingredients to make cement, you add coal. You light it all on fire, and at the end, you have cement, essentially. That's in, in the simplest terms. And so that's, that, that coal you know, is, is fossil coal, so it's being extracted from the ground, and it, all that carbon gets released into the atmosphere. So we could replace that with this. At that point now, we're, it, we're either carbon neutral at worst, or we're carbon negative at best because we've just allowed coal to remain in the ground instead of being used to make cement. Got it. Okay. So you could use it for that. And you're still, are you guys doing the research or is this coming to you? You were convinced based on what you already knew that biochar is still a desirable product or more desirable than what might've happened otherwise. Uh, We are doing research, but there is also a large body of research that's already been done and continues to be done that we can tap into. Got it. All right. Uh, Where does this go? Where does what go? I'm sorry. Where does this end up? Where does, why did you join this company? You're a middle-aged guy that was a civil engineer. You probably have a fat pension. You could could just retire and you you said, no, 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 I'm going to do this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Um, Right now, there's there's 12 million open jobs. Now that things are getting worse in the United States, there's 12 million open jobs. Why did you take this one? I took this one because I wanted to work for startup businesses that had leapfrogging technologies. I didn't want to work for something that's just making an incremental change in the industry and in, in the environment. I came to work for core because this is a major advancement, both in terms of renewable energy and agricultural productivity. Does it, thank you. Does it supplant? Uh, I'm here in the Midwest. There are three 
uh, ethanol plants within uh, 30 miles of where I'm sitting right now. It's good for me because I'm in the farm business. Ethanol has been very good for me. It gets a lot of attacks. Um, uh, you know, the no food for fuel crowd. Um, do, is what you're doing, does it supplant or replace ethanol? I would say it's not an either or. It's, it's an all of the above type strategy. And when I look at projections of where fuel is going to come from over the next 20, 30 years, ethanol is going to play a part in that during that period and, and likely forever, because we're probably not likely to ever fully get away from liquid fuels. But what we need to do is get away from liquid fossil fuels. So there are any number of uh, biological or synthetic fuels that can be used to replace fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And, and ethanol will play a part in that, as will methanol and, and any number of other type of renewable fuels. Does your process give us anything that can be as a liquid fuel? We have moved, we, had, we made a decision years ago to move away from liquid fuels. At one point, we initiated this process to produce drop-in diesel and at the time, oil was trading at $140 a barrel, and then it was less than 40. You know, now it's up again, but being located in California and having the market opportunity for the re- renewable, the gaseous renewable fuels that we produce, we just made a decision to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. One of the things you talked about was a renewable energy that's gaseous. And now we've got pushes to do away with anything that's an open flame. That's a, a big thing going on right now. Your stuff to be utilized has to end up getting burned, right? No. So first of all, our process itself, remember the feedstock is in a pipe inside the reactor. There's no oxygen present, so there's zero combustion in our entire process other than heating the gas to heat the oven. Mm-hmm. But think about it like a Dutch oven if you're cooking at home, right? Your, your oven heats up, but there's never any fire that comes into contact with the food because it's inside of a cast iron pot. Same sort of thing here. Everything's happening inside of that pipe. So no combustion for the process. The biochar, if it's using an agricultural application, nothing's getting burned there because it's being blended into the soil. And the, the gas that we're producing, if it's upscaled to hydrogen, it goes through a fuel cell uh, in a fuel cell, there's no combustion. There's simply a membrane across which hydrogen combines with oxygen to form water. As it does that, it gives off an electron that's caught in the circuit, and that's how we create electricity with a fuel cell. And that electricity continuously charges a battery that becomes the motive power for a fuel cell electric vehicle. Understood. Um, ultimately, when I asked about where this goes and I asked you why you're with this company, um, give me a big vision. Give me something that makes me excited about the future. You know, I'm not very excited right now. I'm not, I'm not real excited about, um, uh, my farmers are paying $5 and 39 cents for diesel. And I might think a fuel out here is, as uh, you know, three times what it was just two years ago. Um, it feels like there's a, a uh, tremendous amount of um, uh, economic strain going right now. Um, here in agriculture, we're struggling to get some of the inputs that we required and um, I think there's a lot of things that are, um, you know, would give you a little bit of source of angst. Tell me why I shouldn't have angst about what you're seeing. Let me address that with in two ways. Uh, first of all, when you talk about trucks and, and diesel costs, 
and I just discussed fuel cell electric vehicles, uh, there are at least six platforms right now in California that one could acquire a fuel cell electric vehicle for a class eight heavy duty truck. And right now, the total cost of ownership of those vehicles on a long-term lease basis is less than a diesel vehicle. Uh, it, the only thing that needs to happen now is these trucks need to start rolling off the production lines and there has to be enough hydrogen to supply them to make that work. And that will happen over the next, you know, any number of years. Well, you know, anyway, any, any, any number, the Jetsons was any number of years. Uh, uh, is that, is that, is that two? Is that 50? In, in, for most of these companies, the trucks will start rolling off the line the end of 2023. So in about a little over a year, we'll start seeing these. And then it'll just be continuing to manufacture those to get to the point where they continuously uh, displace diesel trucks. And eventually it'll be all fuel cell trucks, maybe some battery electric trucks as rechargeable batteries. But, you know, there's certain inherent disadvantages to batteries with the weight and the charging time that favor fuel cell. And even some, and even some environmental concerns. We're pulling nic nickel and cadmium and, and lithium and all that out of there. So the difference between that and what you're talking about, we're talking, you, you keep talking about fuel cell. What am I talking about again? That's this hydrogen thing that you're talking about? Exactly. So with a fuel cell, the battery in a vehicle is less than 10% of the battery in a rechargeable vehicle. So that right there it gets at the issue you mentioned of cadmium and, and lithium and other precious metal extractions. Okay. So, and we're going to fuel that with processes like yours. We're going to fuel that with, with hydrogen that comes from processes like ours and other sources as well. Yes. And it, and it's a more, in your opinion, is a more efficient uh, energy. Um, for trucks, it is certainly a more efficient energy for cars. I think it's going to be uh, a combination of battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles. And that's going to be somewhat of a personal choice and somewhat depending on what your uh, availability is for recharging versus purchasing hydrogen. For instance, if I'm a renter and I can't recharge my vehicle, I might select a fuel cell vehicle because I know I can drive up to a hydrogen fueling station and, and recharge myself. Got it. And then, um, you're giving me a lot of that stuff there now. Uh, you didn't bring it back to agriculture. Bring it back to agriculture for my listeners. Why, why should we be, what, what's something positive that you see from your angle that we maybe don't see? You know, we're out here, we're pretty busy producing food and doing what we do. You see something different from what you do every day. Yes. Well, first of all, the biochar itself will improve crop yields. I mean, that's pretty well established right now. So the more we can get this into the marketplace, the more we can produce more food per unit area with lower fertilizer and water consumption. Which is all good for the environment and also should be good for yields because I use less inputs. Exactly. And I'm going to eventually have to dig up some of the uh, agronomic data on biochar. And I know it's probably not all the same. That's why it's a little bit of still the wild west. Yeah. Did it strike you that the biochar thing is still a little bit of the wild west? It's a little bit like, what is this stuff? And, and is it all the same? And, and what are we talking about? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have to make sure that there's enough processes and controls in place that only the right biochar gets in the marketplace and that it's been tested, et cetera. There's, there's some evidence that biochar coming straight off a process 
needs to be conditioned before it can go into the soil. Otherwise it could scavenge nutrients. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand what that mechanism is and what it is that we need to do to uh, make sure that that doesn't occur. Uh, but you can go on to Amazon right now and buy any number of biochars for your own home garden use and, and test it out for yourself. Sure. Um, you, you said, what else would, can I tell you that would get you excited? And I would say, you know, one of the comments I get from people is, well, if this technology grows and, uh, and there's competitors that come in and you use all of the waste biomass that's available you know, what happens then? And, and my first comment is, well, we should all pat ourselves on the back because we just solved a significant waste problem. We made waste go away and convert it into something that's of value. And at that point, we could start to look at purpose-grown crops yeah. to extract even more CO2 out of the atmosphere and provide these types of fuels. Yeah. Fast-growing, typically grasses, you know, yeah. like some type, of, some type of a warm-season yeah. grass here or some type of a grass that grows exceedingly fast and, and grabs boatloads of carbon out of, the, uh, out of the atmosphere, and then you grab it, well, you, we harvest it and haul it to your facility and dry it down, I guess. And, and process it right through, yes. Hmm. Got it. Uh, I'm intrigued. It's still not there. Um, but that's okay. Sometimes we have to talk about what the future might be. You know, I've, I've been paying attention to this for a long time. I remember we were one of the first farms to, to experiment with no-till planting in like 1980. Um, I, uh, I've, I've seen uh, a lot of, you know, chicken litter uh, being used as, uh, uh, you know, to replace fertilizer or something that was an old-fashioned uh, technique that's now coming back because fertilizer prices. I think there's a lot of, a lot of the cycle. That I guess is what we're talking about, uh, keeping the cycle going in a positive way. So, um, yep. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens here. If people want to learn more about this, where do they go, Steve? Your company in particular, Core. Yeah, the, well, the company name is Core Infrastructure. We we use Core because it's simpler. But if they want to go learn about us, they can go to coreinfrastructure.com. And that's Core spelled with a K O R E. Exactly, K O R E infrastructure.com. All right. I think I want you to come back in two years and tell me where we've evolved into, because um, uh, I, I think we were on a on a uh, on an edge here. But I don't know. I, I don't know where this edge, uh, what the next what the, what the next two years are going to bring. Neither do you. Let's pin that date on the calendar and, and set it. <laughs> All right. His name's Steve Wortel. The company's called Core Infrastructure. If you want to go check it out, my name is Damian Mason. Please share this with all of your friends, ag and non-ag alike. If you have a recommendation for a subject you want me to dig more into, please send it to me. Uh, you can find all my stuff at DamianMason.com. Thanks for being here. Make sure you go to my YouTube channel also, because remember, every episode of the Business of Agriculture is not only an audio, it's a video. And you can subscribe to the Damian Mason YouTube channel. Check out all my hundreds and hundreds of videos there and it won't cost you nothing. So anyway, thanks for being here, Steve. Thank you for having me. You bet. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. This episode of the business of agriculture was brought to you by Nori. If you're feeling left out of carbon markets, Nori is a carbon removal marketplace that welcomes early adopters of regenerative farming. We work directly with farmers to enter their data and project their carbon credits, which the farmer owns and sets the price on. Nori is the marketplace, not the middleman. So farmers get paid directly once their credits are sold. We believe that carbon credits should be an asset the farmer controls, not the rights that they sell. To learn more on how you can enroll your farm, visit nori.com growers. And if you are a company looking to get involved with carbon markets, reach out to hello at nori.com. Nori, a carbon marketplace for early adopters.
Visit nori.com slash growers. 